0: Well, again, it's great having all of you here, and we're going back into the series that we just started uh, last week, and it's my most favorite topic, uh, because how can you get a topic that would be any better uh, than talking about the person of Jesus? Uh, not only the greatest person you know found in the Bible, and there's a lot of great people in the Bible, but not only the greatest person ever mentioned in the Bible, but actually the greatest human being who ever walked the face of Jesus. Of the, this planet Earth, and you may think, well, human being, uh, why would you say that Jesus was a human being? And you know, in reality, and I, it's not the subject matter that we're going into today. But the reality, when Jesus came into the world, the way that the Father sent Him is He came in His what is called His incarnational life. He came, and He was fully God. He was fully God, yet he assumed upon himself the human limitations that all of us are familiar with. So for the first time in his life, Jesus became sleepy. And I hope you're not sleepy here this morning because it's dark in here and the seats recline and uh, I hope you're not sleepy, but Jesus subjected himself in the form of his humanity uh, to sleeping and, and hunger and thirst and the lights. Well, in part one, we started looking at the surrounding elements of Jesus' teaching. We said, well, you know, if we're going to talk about Jesus in this uh, message series that we're calling The Great Reveal, then, you know, you got to start, or at least fundamentally, I thought we needed to start with the teaching of Jesus. And we talked about that in various ways. We talked about how did he teach and the Bible tells us, and we just echoed what the Bible said. It said that he taught with authority. In fact, you know, the people who had hear Jesus teach, they're like, hey, we've never heard anybody teach like this. They were in awe. They were astounded because he taught as one who had authority and not in a way that they were normally accustomed to. And why did he teach? And we said, well, it's obvious why he taught. He taught to change lives. And who did he teach? He taught everybody. And he started embracing people that everybody had left out and, uh, you know, women and children and overlooked and diseased. And he started teaching everybody, and he was not exclusive in who he would uh, invite into his school, as it were. Why did he teach? He taught the truth, and we talked about that. And when did he teach? He, he taught, you know, everywhere. He, he gave these teaching moments, and whatever circumstances prevented themselves to him, and we're going to see one of these play out today. Now, this morning, we're going to an incident in the Gospels that maybe you have not looked at a whole lot, or maybe if you have looked at it before, you've not really looked at it uh, with the weightiness and the detail that we're going to look at it here today, and I think you're going to learn something, and I think it's going to be helpful to us all, and what we're going to talk about today is the worth of a person. Now, what does that matter? That matters a whole lot because it it hopefully will create within us the capacity to open our eyes and see people, every person, in a way that Jesus sees them. I think it will also be helpful because there are some of you here today that you may be, in fact, for your life personally, wondering, you know, what is my life really worth? What is the value of my life? Who, Who really cares? Why should I care? Does God really care? Does God even see me? Does God even know what's going on in my life? Is God even keenly aware of the challenges that I'm faced with? Does God know this about me? So I guess it would have a sort of a twofold application in that regard. Now, uh, let's talk about that for a moment, just sort of set this up, and then we're going to dive into this incredible account in Luke 14. But whether people act accordingly or not, I doubt that it would be very easy for any of us to find anyone who would dispute this idea that every human being is created equally and is equally valued. If I were to come around this room, which I'm not, so relax, but if I had a mic and I just went, you know, row one, seat A, all the way back, you know, to the very back and asking you, do you think everybody is created equally? You'd say yes. Is everybody valued equally? I, I think, I hope, every one of you in this room would say yes. Now, if you happen to believe, and most of you in this room, now this is not true of everywhere, this is not true in every segment of society, and it's especially not true in major portions of the world, but if you happen to believe that every person is brought into this world by a creator, by God, then it would be a far reach for you or I, we we don't even think this way, but it would be a far reach for us to possess a what we might would call a gradation of value or worth. What, what, what is that? That would be like a value, sort of a gradation. I look at this person, and I think this person has this highly esteemed uh, value, and this person, they're not as worth as much for whatever reason, how somebody might would deem that. And again, that happens in many parts of the world, in various aspects of culture. But I don't think you would find it in this room. I think we would all say everybody is created by God, And as a result of that, it's not a great gradation. Some are up here and some are down there and everywhere in between. We would say everybody is valued equally. Everybody has equal value. But in the ancient world and the context that we're going to be speaking into this morning, that was not so. In fact, in the ancient world, and I hate to tell you in many places of the world even today, people who are not like us are looked down upon. Some people look at the uh, the poor. They bring in sort of this gradation of value and worth. And they say, well, you know, how can they? I mean, look at their... Uh, what about slavery? How, how do some cultures look upon females? How do some look upon those who are malformed and have challenges? Again, no person, no person, friends, not even close, has ever changed the world that Jesus, in the way that Jesus has, And he's going to turn this idea as he talks about the value. What is the real value of people? How much do people really matter to him and to the Father? And Jesus, you're going to love this. Jesus gets invited to this dinner, and they think that it's going to be a relatively calm night, but Jesus is going to turn this whole idea on his head at a dinner event that he's been invited to. In fact, Jesus is actually... Now, maybe you don't think of Jesus this way. Maybe you just think of sweet little innocent Jesus. How many of you remember these uh, photographs from years ago? Years ago? And, uh, you know, people are just all these nice little sweet poses. And maybe, we, you know, Jesus has a nice little sweet pose, and he's just, you know. But how many of you know if you take a whip and run people out of church, you're not always calm? <laughs> and that's what Jesus did on one occasion. saw that they had made a mockery of his father's house, and he just like, he clears the place out. So that's not little meek, mild, innocent Jesus. Actually, at this occasion, his greatest, you know, greatest, you know, acts of loving kindness and compassion, and we're going to be talking about that in this series. But I do not want you to underestimate the reality that Jesus, when he wants to, can generate some serious tension. And boy, does he at this event. In fact, He's going to talk about three things. He's going to talk, first of all, and you're going to see it. I'm going to walk you through it. I want you to stay fully engaged. He's going to begin with a sick man. Now, why is he going to talk about a sick man? Because this dinner party that Jesus has been invited to by this prominent person we will come to that. There's a sick guy there. A lot of theologian scholars do not know, was this guy, did he just wander in? Was he invited in sort of, you know, to catch Jesus in a trap, you know, to just sort of set Jesus up and, you know, speculation because the Bible does not address that. So we should not speak with clarity that we know because we don't know. All we know that at this dinner party, there is a sick man there. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's do a little timeout right here and... Let me ask you, have you ever been to a social gathering when you thought everything was going to be calm and peaceful and, you know, uh, platitudes and everybody's going to get along well, and then all of a sudden something gets a little edgy in this social gathering that you're in. Maybe somebody starts, you know, like really, really strongly speaking up. Let's say, for example, uh, about politics maybe because we're seeing a lot about politics now leading up into the election. And maybe somebody speaks up for a candidate or for a a platform. By the way, at the North Campus in a couple of weeks, a week from Sunday night, we're going to be, you know, not endorsing candidates. We don't do that. That's not our our job, but talking about platforms and what are some of the things that, you know, is represented and how do you, because there's some, uh, is it just me or or does this light seem one of the most confusing elections you have ever seen in your whole life? How many of you are ready? I mean, this is okay. This is not going to offend God. How many of you are glad when it's all going to be over? Anybody? Are you saying, I need to see at least 273 more commercials? But let's say that, okay, somebody brings up politics, and they bring about it, you know, not trying to, you know, intelligently explain a position, but just adamant. Well, that can create some tension. How many of you know not only politics, uh, religion can bring up some tension? Uh, what about even sports? I mean, you think about it. You think if somebody mocks your favorite sports team. Let's say you're at a gathering. Let's just use our imagination. And somebody says to you, you know your team. Your team, the Georgia Bulldogs, they really, really stink. And you're offended by that. And what you say in response, I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe that you would say my team stinks. They don't stink. They're absolutely deplorable. They're horrible. Don't know if they're going to win the rest of the year. I better calm down. I'm feeling some emotion about this. But the tension of this dinner in Luke chapter 14 is about to suddenly escalate, and I want us to go ahead and dive into this unforgettable event. You're going to see it. This is Luke 14, right up here on the screen. Let's start at verse 1. It says, one Sabbath, and this really, really matters, this whole word Sabbath, it really matters as to what's going to play out. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, we'll talk about that, he was being carefully watched. Now, I want to go ahead because I'm not going to have time to talk to that one little phrase. But I just want you to know, this is entirely accurate, as you would know, because it's in the Bible. He was being watched carefully. But I want you to know, and you'll see this, Jesus was also watching them carefully. There in front of him, right in front of him, was a man suffering from dropsy. Look at this next part. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law is it lawful to heal on what? On the Sabbath or not? If it, is it lawful? Should I help this sick guy on the Sabbath? But what do they do? Read these next four words with me. Everybody, but they remain silent. Look at the next part. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Now, I'm telling you, tension. Tension fills the air. So Jesus has been invited to this meal. It's being held at the home. And you saw this, not just any Pharisee, but a prominent, an upstanding, an influential Pharisee, and he's being carefully watched. Seated apparently right in front of Jesus is a sick man that we just read about. It says dropsy. Uh, more modern terms would be like uh, edema, it's, it's been called. It's uh, possibly, in this guy's case, it was uh, caused by some sort of bacterial infection and oftentimes, dropsy edema would cause various parts of the body to swell. It was obvious that this man, and, and maybe, maybe he was planted there. Who knows? Maybe he just wandered in uninvited because this is a pretty prestigious gathering that Jesus had been invited into. But nevertheless, the guy is there, and maybe people are thinking if they planted him there, maybe Jesus would get caught in a trap. Or maybe they're thinking, you know, this guy's here, but nobody's even going to address him. And Jesus, like, calls attention. He doesn't even overlook this guy. He just immediately, and it's sort of hard not to, he's right in front of Jesus, and he looks at this guy, and again, you need to keep in mind, you saw this, that it is the Sabbath, and if you can believe this, this is amazing. According to religious law, according to religious law, healing is not allowed, if you can imagine. Healing is not allowed on that particular day. So what does Jesus do? He looks directly at the Pharisees And the experts in the law, and these people not really connected to Jesus, just so you know. They're more religious elitists. They don't really have It's all about religion to them, and that's about as far as it goes. And so Jesus looks at them, and he asks, hey, do you guys have any problem? And he knows they do. Do you guys have any problem? Because they were Sabbath keepers. They were religious elitists. Do you guys, you see this fellow right here? Maybe they thought he had overlooked him. He's like, hey, this guy, this guy right here. Any of y'all have a problem if I go ahead and heal this guy on the Sabbath? And two things happen when that occurs. It says, you saw this in those verses, they remain silent. Silent, not a word. But how many of you have ever found this to be true in your life about a situation? How many of you have ever been silent? You kept your little mouth closed, but you could feel your blood pressure rising. And so they're not saying anything, but I'm telling you, their blood pressure is all amped up. They remain silent. They don't say anything. Jesus, you, you mind? You mind? Really, this sick guy, and he really needs, and I can heal him. Hey, you guys got any problem? Anybody going to get their dander up if I just go ahead and heal him right here, right now? And they just look at him, and they don't say anything. So Jesus presses on, and he heals this diseased guy anyhow. Some time ago, I was reading about Bob Pierce. Bob Pierce was the founder of World Vision, a great, great compassion ministry that's helped a lot of people for many, many years. It's told about when uh, Bob, toward the end of his life, he had acute leukemia and he had gone to Indonesia one last time to visit a colleague of his. And let me just pick up with the story from there. As they were walking through a small village, they came upon a young girl lying on a bamboo mat next to a river. This young girl was dying of cancer and had only a short time to live. Bob was indignant. He hated to see anybody suffer, and he didn't want to see this little girl suffering. He demanded to know why this little girl wasn't in the clinic, but his friend explained that she was from the jungle and wished to spend her last days next to the river where it was cool and familiar. As Bob gazed at her, he felt such compassion, the way that Jesus would. He felt such compassion that he got down on his knees in the mud, took her hand, and began stroking her hand Although she did not understand him, he prayed for her. Afterwards, she looked up and Bob had said something. What did she say? Bob asked his friend. His friend replied, she said, if only I could sleep again. If only I could sleep again. It seemed that her pain was so great that it would not allow her the relief of rest. And when she says this, when it's interpreted Bob, he begins to weep. Then he reached into his pocket and he took out his own sleeping pills, the ones his doctor had given him because of the pain from his leukemia that was so great that he could not really get to sleep at night. He handed the bottle to his friend, and he said, you make sure this young lady gets a good night's sleep, he said, as long as these pills last. Bob, what, you know, is bears mentioning As He was 10 days away from where he could get his prescription refilled. That meant that for him, 10 painful, restless nights. As the story goes, that day his servanthood cost him greatly. But even in the midst of his suffering, God infused him with a supernatural sense of satisfaction that he had done the right thing. And Jesus looks around, and again, the tension is getting thick. And by the way, I'll just go ahead and give you a heads up. It is about to get insane, the tension. And Jesus just says, hey, any of you have a problem if I do good? Any of you have a dilemma with me healing? I know it's the Sabbath, and I know you guys are sort of hung up on the Sabbath. You got a problem if I heal him, but they say nothing. And it's difficult to pick up on this if you just read words here and you do not possess the, the contents of it. They're totally frustrated. That's an understatement. It's the best word I've got, but they are totally frustrated with Jesus healing this guy on the Sabbath. But I'm just telling you, it is reciprocal because Jesus, you know, here's a better word. Jesus is not frustrated. Let's just use, here's a phrase. He is flat out angry. For once again, it is apparent that they care more, Listen, it's so important that they care more about their laws and they care more about their rules than they do people. I want you to take a look. This is not in Luke 14. This is another place in the Bible. Look at, uh, look at Luke, what well, is in, in Luke 14. I, I made a mistake, one of at least 1512 I've made this week, but let's, nevertheless, Luke 14:5. look at it on the screen. Then he asked them if any of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the what? On the Sabbath day. Will you not immediately pull him out? And so Jesus, I mean, Jesus is not calming these boys down. I mean, tension, blood pressure. And he said, you, silent? I mean, here's this guy, obviously he's suffering. Really? I mean, you're so religious. You're so good. But any of you, if If your son, or for crying out loud, your ox fell into a ditch, fell into a well on the Sabbath day, you'd do everything you could to get them out. The issue that is heating things up is this. How much is a human being really worth? And we've got to ask that question. And we've got to answer it candidly. Do we view people differently? You know, it's amazing how in our culture, we really like to put a worth on everything. We look at, you ever do this? I've done this, and I see this amazing car, amazing car driving down the road. Pulled into the airport actually on Friday, and and I saw this amazing car in the parking lot, and I just thought, I wonder how much that costs. We we put a a tag on so many things. We could put a tag on cars and homes and how much is somebody's financial portfolio worth, and what about boats and jewelry, and what is it really valued at? And, you know, Jesus is just saying, well, you know, in the context of all of life, what are people really worth? What kind of value can you put upon a human being? Now, now this is, I know this for a fact, this is in a different passage. This is not Luke 14. This is Matthew 12. And just listen to it. It's not on the screen. Uh, Jesus said to them, because this is is a, a connotation that Jesus carries out throughout his ministry and teaching. Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a sheep. If it falls into a pit on a day of worship, which was the Sabbath, wouldn't you take hold of it and lift it out? And then Jesus responds, Certainly a human being is more valuable than sheep. And again, Jesus just keeps driving this point home. If you had your son, an ox, if you had a sheep, I'm talking, you know. They, they matter a whole lot to you. Why don't people matter a whole lot to you? Now, this is on the screen. Look at this one. This is still Matthew's gospel, six chapters back, Matthew six twenty six. Uh, Jesus said, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They do not plant seeds, gather a harvest, and put it in barns. Yet your Father in heaven takes care of them. Are you worth much more than birds? And the obvious answer to that is yes, yes. And again, Jesus keeps driving this home. Look at Matthew 10, or let me just read Matthew 10. It's not on the screen, but the same idea. Jesus said in another occasion, he said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Even birds matter a whole lot. Some of you have heard this story. I didn't plan on uh, telling it, but enough of you have not. And it's such a great story. I was standing at a ball game. This had been many, many, many years ago. It was a beautiful day, slightly cool. sky was deep, deep blue. I was standing at a ball game. This had been many years ago. One of my sons was out on the field playing, and a lot of the parents uh, knew each other, and I'm standing in the area, some, several people, you know, people in the stands, people standing around. I'm standing around, got a person on the side of me, and I, I look up in the air And I see this bird. And what is so striking to me about this bird is this bird is not flapping its wings. It's just like it's, you know, it's just sort of sailing. It's just like it's hanging in the air, riding a, a, a wave. And it was amazing to me. And I say to the lady next to me who I know, I've known her for years and her family for years. And I said, look at that bird. It was just striking to me. I said, look at that bird. She turned around and looked. And she looked back at me, and she said, that's a kite. <laughs> I, I hope you won't judge me too severely. You, how many of you just, how many of you will not judge me? Just wave your hand if you're not going to judge me too severely, okay? I need to know this before I tell the rest of the story. She said, that's a kite. look at that, and I'm thinking, you have lost your mind. That is not a kite. That is a bird. And there are other birds. Dodo head. That's what I, I, I want to, uh, but, but uh, that's, I'm thinking, oh, I say, you know, so I know, So I'm proficient in these things. Oh, no. I say, oh, no, that's not a kite. That's a bird. And I just felt pretty good about that till about three days later, I was looking up something in the dictionary. Have you ever noticed that sometimes they put a sketch in the margin? And I saw, and this was very, very distinguished in the fact that this bird not only, you know, was just sort of not flapping its wings, but it had a very distinctive forked tail. You don't see that every day. And I look at that bird and I say to myself, that is exactly the kind of bird that I saw. And I looked underneath because it gave a brief description. And he it said, it's a kite. <laughs> and I could only, and I had to chuckle to myself because I could only imagine. I'm standing there. I'm not saying anything. I'm thinking, oh, man, what a knucklehead. That's not a kite. That's a bird. And then I speak up authoritatively. Oh, no, that's not a kite. That's a bird. Now, she's standing over here saying, that's a first-class idiot right there, right, <laughs> right here. Very distinguished bird. But Jesus said, even sparrows. Two can be sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your... What did Jesus say? Jesus says, his creation... Do not miss it. He is saying, his creation matters to him so much that he has a running inventory of all little birds that fall to the ground. And then Jesus' lesson said the father cares about sparrows that much how much do you think he cares about you it goes on verse 30 and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered you think about that every I heard somebody say one time not only does God know the number of your hairs on your head he knows what the original color is right now he knows that he knows. what does a parent do parent when a baby is born, we've got several, it's amazing, several families have just recently, in the last few weeks, given birth to babies. And our nursery are always, you know, kids everywhere down in that area, great workers. But what does a parent do when a little baby is brought back out? One of the first things, we'll count the little fingers. And we'll count the little toes, 10 little fingers, 10 little toes. And Jesus is saying, I care so much about human beings. I not only count their fingers and their toes, I know among every person how many hairs are upon their head. And Jesus said, So don't be afraid, you're worth much more than many sparrows. Bill Hybels writes this When Jesus saw someone put in a higher value on anything other than people, he would step in and say, If you knew my father at all, you would never allow anything to trump the value of people. So, Jesus, would you agree? Jesus has created some tension. Wave at me if you're still awake. And if you believe that, how many of you would say, Jesus has created some tension, but he's not done yet. Next, he's going to talk about a seating chart. It's actually pretty intriguing as to just how seemingly important a seating chart can actually be. For example, um, I have this flight to Atlanta uh, Friday. My days are running together now. Because my grandmother, who's still alive, she's 86, my grandmother's sister passed away, and I promised her a long, long time ago that whenever she did pass, I promised her, gave her my word, no matter what, I would do her funeral service, and I did that yesterday. She had just turned 100 a few months ago. I'm saying, Lord, I pray I've got some of those genetics, just send send them my way. So, you know, um, I I fly because, long story, and I'll just be, because of my stepfather's long-term employment with Delta Airlines still to this day, you know, if there's an available seat on an airplane, I can fly at a fraction of a cost. I'm very grateful for that little benefit. So here's the good news. Good news is you can pay a lot less than a normal ticket. Bad news is if there's a seat on the plane. And if there's not a seat on the plane, guess what? you're not going anywhere. And so I got over to the airport about 12 noon and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Here I go. And uh, I'm there at 12 and I'm there at one and I'm there at two and four. And I literally, because there's a lot, I don't know if you know this, there's a lot of flights going from Tampa to Atlanta on Delta Airlines. And I literally walk from gate 62 to gate 64 and I'd wait. This flight is full. The next flight is going out of gate. Sit. Well, I know that gate, and I'd be back, and I did that, you know, back and forth. It was like, you know, and I did that until seven o'clock that night, and so I thought, man, I am so glad Friday's over. I am so glad. You know, seating charts, uh, an available seat, really. I mean, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, I can't, I can't believe this, but thankfully, I'd looked at the flights for Saturday coming home, And and I knew I had to be here to give this talk. And so it's not questionable. It's not whether or not I can stay another night. So I think, oh, man, thank goodness. Thank goodness I'm going to have a much easier time getting home. So I go straight from the funeral. One of my family members drops me off at the airport at 4.15. And I was there at 4.15 and 5.15 and 8.15. And I started checking and I started asking the right people, is this going to be the way it is the rest of the night? Is every flight from Atlanta to Tampa home going to be full? They said, yes, it is. And I think I've got a problem. They said, what about another city? I said, what about Orlando? Everyone, the rest of the night's full. I said, well, let's try Sarasota. Everyone is full. Fort Myers, <laughs> full. So I flew into Daytona Beach at 11 o'clock last night. No seats. By the way, if anybody's going to Tampa Airport today, I've got a car and a suitcase over at the airport. If you pick, I'll give you the stuff right after service. <laughs> seats really matter. Now, did I mention to you the tension at this dinner party is already sky high? And I'm sure that the host is a little desperate for somebody to change the subject to soothe things down so that it would become pleasantly calm in the way that this host had wanted. But Jesus, guess what? He's going to raise the temperature again. He does. And he is not going to quiet the agitation in the room. Instead, Luke 14, look at verse 7 up on the screen. Jesus is not done yet. He, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. You see, Jesus had noticed how the people at this dinner had jockeyed for the respectable seats. And he could have not drawn attention to it. He could have looked over it. He could have pretend that he did not see what he saw. But he did, and he's on a roll now, and he has a painful suggestion for them. It's like, you know the guy that I asked you and you kept silent about? And you know how much people? You, if you had a son, if you had an odds, you care more about them than this man that the father and I had placed a high value on? I was watching you. Remember the verses. Jesus was being carefully watched by these prominent Pharisees and these religious elitists in his home, but Jesus is watching them. Like, hey, boys, I noticed. I saw it. I saw what happened when you came into the room. All of you were fighting for the right chairs. What does Jesus tell them? He says, how about you do this? How about the next time that you receive an invitation to a great feast, here's a thought. Do not walk toward the honored and distinguished seats. Instead, why don't you humble yourself? Here's a better idea. Jesus lets at Blood pressure? Pulse rate? I've got an idea for you, boys. Go sit in the kitchen. Go sit in the kitchen. Hang out there. I see what you're doing. Jesus is saying to them, and do not miss this. It's so important because you're thinking, why, why would Jesus care about seats around the table? It was bigger, and he was sending them a message. Remember, I, I told you that Jesus taught everywhere. He had these teaching moments wherever he was, whatever he was doing, and Jesus is saying this. you, gotta, you know, you got to get this. Jesus is saying, you know, and I know what this is really all about, the scent of ego and status and competition is thick in the air. Your seating chart is all wrong. Then he adds this to his proposal. This is Luke fourteen, picking up at verse twelve. Look at this. When he knows how the guests pick the places around here, then Jesus said to his host, "When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives." Now I want to be careful because some of you may take this too literally. And right now you look at your wife and say, "See, I told you we weren't supposed to invite your relatives." <laughs> we're done. Jesus said, we can't invite your relatives anymore. No, that is not what Jesus is saying. Do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. Look at the next part. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Mother Teresa once said, be especially tender when you deal with the poorest of the poor because when you touch them, there you touch Jesus in his distressing disguise. How many of you are still with me? Wave your hand so I can see. You're still with me? All of you are awake. Have I mentioned in this talk that, that the tension is high in the room? Did I happen to mention that at any Do you think Jesus is done? Oh, no. He is not done. So he's talked about a sick man. Now he's talked about a seating chart. He's not done yet. He's got one more thing. He's going to talk about a spectacular banquet that's held. In this next segment, an effort is made to lighten the blatant uneasiness. So somebody in the room, this is not on the screen, but I want you to listen now to what somebody, because I guess they're tired of the tension, and somebody speaks up. This is verse 15, Luke 14. When one of those at the table with Jesus... Heard this, heard what he said. He said to Jesus, again, this this dude, he's wanting to calm things down. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. You know what this guy's trying to do? This is a distracting mechanism. He's trying to throw Jesus off course. You know what he's essentially saying? He's saying this. Don't miss it. He's saying, hey, let's move to a conversation that all of us can agree on. And no doubt the host certainly thinks that this is a brilliant idea. Oh man, thank you. I owe you one. Thank you. Jesus ah, is all this. Attention. Ah, thank you. Blesses. You know when we take the feast. Thank you. And he's wanted to distract Jesus. But Jesus refuses to be distracted. The host thinks it's a brilliant idea, but Jesus is not impressed because he is keenly aware of the arrogance that is in the room and the eagerness to exclude other people who matter so much to God and how that so prevails among these these dinner guests. So Jesus speaks up again, and he tells a story about this fabulously wealthy guy who throws this remarkable feast and this guy, he's got a lot of resources. He throws this huge, again, this is spectacular banquet. This is amazing. And so he sends out all of these invitations to all these impressive people. But instead of getting back a good response, and this, this fabulously wealthy guy thinks he's going to get a great response. This is an amazing event that's going to be held. But instead, all he receives back is lame excuses. One guy says, I just bought a field. Really? You bought a field. You can't come. Oh yeah. And another guy. I just bought five yoke of Hudson. and need to break them in. Can't you do that on another day? I, I just got married. Great. Bring bring your wife. I can't come. Now when again you got to get this. When Jesus tells this story, it really really infuriated them. They get what Jesus is saying. It's not really a story about this very wealthy guy. It's really a story that God, got to get this, got to get it, that God is bringing his feast, that God is bringing his kingdom through Jesus, and people just like them should be checking yes on the RSVP, but instead they are declining God's offer with all these lame excuses. She's saying, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. The Father's kingdom, the kingdom of God is breaking in the world. And Jesus was not saying this egotistically, but it's coming in the world through me. And the Father is sending out to all of you an invitation. He wants you around the table. He wants, you know, all of you, all of you, your prominent Pharisees, your teachers of the law, all of, all of you religious elitists, he cares about you. He's angry about some of the stuff that you do because it's all about your religion and not about a religion, but, but he's sending out an invitation. You know why you keep saying to God, no, sorry. Bought a field, got married, can't come, won't be there. So what does the host do? This host in the story, this fabulously wealthy guy, what does the host do? He doesn't get angry, he doesn't go off the chain. He instead invite he extends to invite least list to others. Look at the look at the B part of verse twenty one. This is still Luke 14. Look at this. We're almost done. So the host says, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. And bring in, he's back to this. Here it is again. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And they got it. And boy, they are steaming mad. Jesus is saying, the Father wants you around the table. But you won't come. You won't come. So you know what the Father's doing? You won't come. He's extending the invitation to others. Now a lot of people, a lot of people that you would not value. This is why Jesus, and this is why they're so angry. A lot of people you you would value. A lot of people you think aren't worth very much. They matter to me, and they matter to the Father. So you go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. You bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, and God is inviting all kinds of people to His table. Because every human being has value and worth to God. Rich people matter a lot to God. And poor people matter a lot to God. Young people matter a whole lot to God. And old people matter a lot to God. Males matter a lot to God. Females matter a lot to God. White skin and black skin, tan skin, yellow skin, they all matter to God. Forgotten people, overlooked people, they all matter to God. I noticed something. I told you this airport story. You know what I really noticed? And I knew I was giving this talk about the value of people. So I told you, gate 64, uh, gate 62, uh, back and forth, just like, you know. But I noticed, in fact, I just kept watching her because now I'm getting frustrated, really frustrated. But I saw this older lady, old enough to be my grandmother, and she was in the same predicament as I was. But she was walking a lot slower from gate to gate. And I was merely frustrated. Big deal. I've been inconvenienced. But she was starting to look worried. And I thought to myself, man. God sees this older lady. And she keeps missing all these flights. And she probably doesn't even know just how much that all of this matters to God. I was coming through security and I saw this mom, and it was an older child, but it was a child nevertheless. It was in a wheelchair, and this mom has a special needs child, and the child is, is making a lot of noise. In fact, you know, to go through security, they're just like trying to take this doll from her, and and man, she is screaming. She is not going to turn. She doesn't care about security, really. She cares about her doll, and they're trying to take her doll, and she's like, ah, and she's being really, really loud and boisterous about it. And I thought, man, and I could see people all around sort of looking. But then I thought, you know what? This woman and this special little girl matters a whole lot to God as much as anybody in this whole airport because God loves everybody. Would you agree with that? God loves the whole world. And Jesus just wanted them to get their prayer. Did he raise the temperature in the room? Yes, he did. Did he do it intentionally? You better believe it because he wanted when the party was over for people to walk away and for them to say, you know what? The most important thing in all the world is really people. Look at these last two verses, Luke 14, 22 and 23. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done. So we went out and we, you know, we've extended the invitation, but look, you know, all these people, they reject, we extended, but there's still room, still empty chairs. Then the master told his servant, look at this. Then the master told his servant, all right, let's broaden it even more. Go out to the roads and country lanes. Make them come in so that my house will be full. Go everywhere. And as we close today in prayer, in fact, you can go ahead and stand. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying he's still looking for people who will go out because kingdom tables must be filled. I hope that from this point forward, you will look at people differently. Not that you were looking at them bad before, but that you'd start looking around and people who seem difficult and people who are unlike you and people who a lot of people would overlook. You just look at them with new eyes and you say, Oh, man, they matter a whole lot to God. And because they matter to God, they ought to matter to me. I hope that there are those of you in this room who have been encouraged by this reality that God knows what's going on in your life because you think six billion plus people, God doesn't even know what's going on. in my. How could God care? Because God doesn't even know. And God said, you know what? Got this whole running inventory thing going on in the sparrows. You think, I don't know about you because you're a lot more valuable to me than that. I care about the sparrows. But even more, I care about you. I care about you so much. I know how many hairs are on your head right now. And some of you have probably lost a little bit just during this service today. You've just lost, I mean. And God's counted every one. The psalm said every tear that you've ever shed, God has in a bottle. And he takes note of what's going on in your life. Because God loves you and you matter to God in a way you can't believe. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've helped us to learn from your word. Help us to see people the way you see them all kinds of people, people who are like us and people who are far from what like, what we are like. Help us to know that every human being has breath in their lungs. Everyone that has ever breathed or will breathe matters to you. Help us to know, God, that the needs and the fears and the worries and the cares that we have also matter to you. And you will help us and love us and carry us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. Thank you for being here, everybody. See you right back here next Sunday.